Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Morning Devotion. Boy, I got this sinister looking guy. He's hanging out over my shoulder. I'm kind of, I'm kind of creepy right now. It's just, you shouldn't start a Monday like this, should you? You just should not start a Monday with all of this creepy looking stuff going on behind me. Anyway, hey, it's good to see you, Lonnie, Grace, Alice. It's good to see each and every one of you. Thank you for being a part of this incredible MD 2021 family, the morning devotees. Some of you are so observant. Lou, you, you said, Pastor, you're standing while you're giving the devotions. Yeah, I am. I'm in a temporary undisclosed location in transition, not far between the house we sold, the house we bought, and here we are standing here. I'm standing. If you could see this contraption, one of these days I'll, I'll share with you how I'm doing this. You will get a big kick out of it. But today, hate, hate, waging a winnable war on this Monday, this incredible Monday, May 24. I got a wonderful story, a story of man, of a man who had victory over hate. Powerful story, not for the faint of heart, but one that we need to hear, especially in this day, in this moment, this hour, when hate levels are at epidemic high. Should I say pandemic high? I I don't need to recount to you all the many, many stories, Marvin Yunus. Don't need to tell you all the stories of hate that we're seeing in the media. Extreme examples of hate all around us. Uh I guess in the last 20 or 30 years, we've started hearing a phrase, hate crime, hate crime. It's an assault, a killing, a vandalism directed against a people of a prohibited class. And since the last 20, 30 years, hate crime laws have been passed in 47 states. There's also federal statutes that if a person attacks another person because of the race, religion, gender, so forth, they can be charged with the crime itself. And then added to that charge can be a charge of a hate crime, like the recent attacks targeting Asians in America. It's an example of a hate crime or what Dylan Roof did, that neo-Nazi, that white supremacist years ago that went into that Charleston, South Carolina church filled with predominantly African-American worshipers. Roof killed nine people that day, a horrific crime in itself. And made all the more heinous because he targeted people of a certain race. Roof was found guilty and he became the first person sentenced to death under a federal hate crime statute. He recently appealed that sentence, hate. But the story I have to tell you today shows that hate, no matter how diabolical hate can be defeated, that it is a winnable war. You can get victory over this. So CJ, Karen, Kimmy, when we talk about hate, we're talking about hate that can be defeated. Oh, can I get a witness to that? Amen. And so you know the drill, everybody. Don't lurk out there. Come on inside. Don't be like this guy standing over my shoulder, just lurking in the shadows and smoke. Come on out and identify yourself. Encourage one another. 
pray for one another. We've got many, many needs that we're faced with today, many situations that we're calling on the name of the Lord and we're asking God for help. Our own dear Patty Paxton, say a prayer for Sister Patty. She needs a touch from heaven. So many, so many needs. Now the news, the news, the media, they feature stories of the attacks against Asians, attacks against African-Americans, attacks against the elderly, attacks against the women. You would be excused to think that America is just a hateful place. And, uh, but I, I believe there's a lot of people out there that really do love one another. Recently, we've seen an age-old hatred against Jews rise up. Anti-Semitism is rearing its ugly head. It's said to be the last front of the Second World War, a battle that still rages. One would think the horrific price paid by the Jews in the Holocaust would create a wellspring, a fountainhead of deep sympathy and compassion. Yet, even though there's Holocaust museums the world over, even though the death camps in Germany and Poland memorialize that horrific event, there's still a hatred towards Jews that's so profound, so lasting, it seems to not go away. And we're reading of more attacks in the past couple of weeks. We're seeing Jewish people attacked, Jewish businesses attacked simply because they're Jews. That's a hate crime, a hate crime. I know. I know. Let me see if I can say this. Let me see if I can say this. I know from the word of God, we're all born sinners, that the fall of Adam and Eve is perpetuated in our very DNA. It's inbred, imprinted, hardwired into our systems. I know that we are all born in sin. We're shaping in iniquity in sin. Uh, did my mother conceive me? David said, yes, we know that. We know that. But we also know something else that we were born with something else. Paul said in Titus 2, 11, for the, I like the amplified version, for the remarkable undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men that superimposed on our sin is God's ever-present prevenient grace that goes before. In other words, we're born sinners, but God's grace has already been revealed to every sinner. And so there's a tug of war constantly within mankind and that tug of war between hate and love. It's that tug of war that keeps people in check. When, when we mistreat someone, whether we're saved or not, when we mistreat someone, conscience smites us. Why? It's that remarkable undeserved grace of God that is already appearing to men before they realize they need a savior. When we talk about somebody, trash their name, speak slander and defame them, a thought comes, that divine whisper, that still small voice that says, we shouldn't have done that. What is that? It's the remarkable grace of God that is already teaching men. It's not Jiminy Cricket. Uh, How many of you know who Jiminy Cricket is? Zane, Nesta, Opal, do you know who Jiminy Cricket is? It's not Jiminy Cricket. Say it that it's God who tries the reins of the heart. But that voice, that still small voice, can be muzzled and silenced, and a person can sear the conscience and harden the heart. Sociopaths, psychopaths, narcissists, call them whatever you like. But by and large, by and large, most ordinary people like we are, we feel bad when we do bad things. And that's the point, isn't it? 
Most Americans don't single out a race, an ethnicity, a religion for hatred. And regardless of how the media leads story day after day, night after night with such story, the overwhelming majority of Americans don't walk around just hating and scheming. Now, granted, there are unrecognized biases in us all. And at time, events will reveal those biases. I don't believe we can excuse them. We've got to face up to any prejudice, any bias, any hatred. We've got to admit it. We've got to confess it. We've got to forsake it. And God is there to help us. And the fruit of the Spirit is there to fill us and chase away the hate. We seek the help of heaven for everything. So Don and Kim and Kathy, when we when we come to God and say, Lord, I've I've made some mistakes, he will help us. But the hatred we struggle with is not necessarily toward a race or a people. It's more of the common garden variety. It's not a broad brush that singles out a race or religion. It's it's a struggle we have with people. Yeah, people who have hurt us. People have hurt those we love. People who've said negative things about us. People who judged us unfairly. People who we once trusted, once loved. But that love, that passion, that feeling has turned from wine to vinegar. Like Hezekiah said, you've lost that loving feeling. He didn't say that. I just threw that out there just to see if you were paying attention to MD Bunch. I'm just checking you out to make sure you're paying attention. But the same emotional intensity with which we once loved, we now hate. It starts young. We can get angry. We can get vengeful. They hurt me. I'll hurt them back. It's sort of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth mentality. If you hurt me, I will hurt you. And since I think you're about to hurt me, I'll go ahead and hurt you too. And since I think you think about hurting me, I'm going to hurt you. This was the revolutionary teaching of Jesus Christ. He taught us to love our enemies, pray for our enemies. And those prayers are not just, Lord, bless my friends and blast my enemies. No, it's not that kind of prayer. It's not to pray down curses upon people. I, I love the term. I like, I really do. I love the term prayer warrior. Not a Bible term, but still I like it because there is some biblical imagery there to be uh, donned with the whole armor of God. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood and prayer is in a sense warfare. But I fear if you if you read the book on prayer, you sort of come away with my concern is that we have so emphasized spiritual warfare and it's so dominated our meetings that we forget the prayer is to be more worship than war. And we talk about war a lot, but falling in love with Jesus is simply the greatest way to attack the darkness, that we should be worshiping the God of light and not focusing on the enemy of darkness. You can curse the darkness all day, every day, and nothing will change. But if you welcome the light into your life, the presence of the Lord will vanquish the darkness. Can I get a witness? Mel, Matthew, April, can I get a witness to that? And when I hear so-called prayer warriors brag about their power to bring curses on people and wreak all sorts of havoc and pain, I think, you know, they'll never be passengers on the love boat, but they book passages on a hate boat. I don't want to be like that. Most prayer warriors I know, however, are intercessors. 
They know the sweet language of travail and entreaty, and they don't get lost in hate. Pride is bad. Spiritual pride is worse. Hate is bad. Spiritual hatred is worse. No, no, no. When we pray for our enemies, it's not to curse them. It's to bless them. It's to heal our own hearts. It's to leave judgment in the hands of God. Because the true victim in hatred is not the person we hate. It's the person who hates. Praying for your enemies. That's one major strategy to win the war on hate. You can try other strategies. They're usually going to fail, though. I'm intrigued with people who are part of hate groups. I really am. I've, I've read a lot of material about hate groups. And I'm intrigued with those who get fed up and try to leave and try to find a remedy for it because I, I think this is an exaggerated form of what we all struggle with. How do we win the war on hate? Tess and I were on a flight back home Saturday night and seated in front of us was a man who was explaining the process of becoming a tattoo artist, the time it takes, the apprenticeship necessary. We got off the plane and journeyed down the baggage claim. Nobody needed to tell us who his party was greeting him because they were covered with intricate tattoos. And uh, they greeted him home as a conquering hero. I guess he had finished his apprenticeship or something. But sometimes people get tattoos that connote hate. And they are based on hate. You've probably seen them. I've prayed for many people that when they lift their hands, have swastikas on their wrists and on their hands. And ugly things printed there. I read recently of a tattoo parlor in Kentucky who's offering to remove the tattoos and hateful symbols, gang symbols, that that if someone realizes I've made a mistake, I, I put something on my skin and I got to get it taken away. The, the first client in that Kentucky tattoo parlor was a 36-year-old mother of two who went to a high school, she said, where everybody, we, we, we didn't have a single person of color in our entire school and everybody just got Confederate flags tattooed all over them. And we had rebel tattoos all over us. And for nearly 20 years, she had those tattoos. And, and throughout those 20 years, periodically, she would look down and regret it. And she saw that ad that they would remove hate tattoos and, and, uh, we applauded and she had it removed. But, but, Folks, that's just a skin-deep thing. It's a superficial cure. Hate cannot be healed just by changing your speech or removing a tattoo. It's got to be deeper than that. Peter Simi is a sociologist who works with hate groups, studies them, invited to their meetings to observe them. And Simi talks about how difficult it is for people to ever leave such a group, to leave a hate group behind. He documented one person after another. But one of them that I find intriguing was a couple who had been so indoctrinated in their white supremacist philosophy, but in a domestic dispute, a relative of theirs had shot their daughter. At the hospital, these two white supremacists raced their daughter to the hospital and saw two black daughters say, two black daughters, doctors save their white daughter's life. Yeah, that'll make you think. But can I just stop here? I want to finish that story, but can I stop here and say, do you know how hard it is? For me to say the words white and black, referring to races. I, I grew up and I, I really believed in Martin Luther King's dream 
of living in a society where we didn't judge people by the color of their skin. I believe it as a child when I heard him say it. I believe it today as an adult when it seems we're farther away from that dream than ever one day. It's going to happen. This hatred is going to be gone. Can I get a witness to that? Can I get a witness to that? Colleen, do you feel that way? I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. Brenda Kirk, do you feel that way? I just feel that one of these days, we're going to get to the place. And you say, well, pastor, that is so, I don't know, wistful thinking. I believe it's an awakening kind of mindset that there could be a revival that would sweep our country, that would sweep away all of these divisions and all of these hatreds. I believe that. But anyway, this couple, this couple that had been so indoctrinated in white supremacy saw these two black doctors save their daughter's life and it confused them. It messed up the narrative in their mind. They were humbled. They were ashamed by their behavior and their cure, they said, was to retrain our minds, to free ourselves of our racist views, even move to a part of town where it had numerous people of color. But Simi described how this couple couldn't unlearn those years of hate. And he said he searched and searched, but no counselors could help them because they're not trained to remove hate. Superficial healing won't do. Retraining your mind won't do. Virtue signaling won't do. Moving into communities of color won't solve the problem because the problem goes very deep. It's in the heart of man. And that heart of man is a dense forest filled with wickedness. Who can know it? Only one. It's God who searches the heart. Can I just talk to you? Can I talk to you from my heart right now? I want to talk to you just for a few more minutes and then tell you a story. We are children of God. God is love. First fruit of the spirit is love. God is holy. We are to love and we are to be holy in everything we do. And yes, we're commanded to hate evil. You who love the Lord hate evil, but we're never commanded to hate people. There's no basis for that. You say, well, I I hate them because they're a compromiser. Please don't. Please don't reach for those who are departing from the faith. People can do vile and terrible things against you, but hating that person is putting yourself in the seat of judgment. You let God be the judge. You let God judge. Release that into his hand. No, you don't have to hang out with people that hurt you all the time. No, you don't have to be bosom buddies with people that slander you and try to destroy you. Yet there are times, and we all know this, that we're forced to be in company with people who have hurt us, slandered us, defamed us. We know that. What is our role? We pray for them. That's waging the winnable war. We love them with the love of God to the extent we can without becoming their personal doormat. We live at peace with all men. And that's waging a winnable war against hatred. It's only possible with God though. Anything else is superficial. Anything else is momentary. Take off the tattoos if you like, but if it's still in your heart, you haven't solved the problem. And now for the story. 
You may have followed the story. It was back in 2012. Ken Parker was the grand dragon in a chapter of the Ku Klux Klan, a white supremacist group. The KKK is what is commonly called. He was with hundreds of other white nationalists at a rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. You may remember the, the upheaval, the hatred on display, the death of Heather Heyer, Heather worked as a paralegal with a lot of women in color, and she was out marching on their behalf, but she was struck and killed by a white supremacist driving a car through the march. Ken Parker was there. He saw it happen. He was moved back, shook up. He and his other group went to a parking garage. They were overheated, and there he met a filmmaker, a woman named Dia Khan, who was filming the event for a documentary of hate groups. She was kind to him. It moved him. He was shook up by what had happened. He was moved by the kindness of this woman toward him. He didn't know what to do with the hate in his heart. But a few months later, still in a state of confusion, he saw some African-American people having a cookout. Parker observed them from his distance, his fiance, and they saw the happiness, the contentment. And they saw something different that they couldn't explain. And so as the crowd thinned, he and his fiance approached the man who seemed to lead the group, spoke with him, asked about the peace that they had and the joy. He found out the man was a pastor and eventually a change began to come to Ken Parker. He would get the hate messages tattooed on his skin removed. Yes, he would do that, but he would also do something else. The news media was filled with this, that a grand dragon of the KKK had repented of his sins. He took off that dreaded white hood and garment. He joined the All Saints Holiness Church, stood up in front of a congregation of predominantly African-Americans and confessed his sin, put on a baptismal robe, was baptized in the ocean by the pastor, was recently interviewed. And he said, I was into that hate group so much. It was my life for six years. I never thought I could get out. But then he said to those still wrapped up in hate, get out. You're throwing your life away. Leaving a life of hate is hard. Repentance is hard. It may be the most difficult thing you've ever done, but you definitely don't have to do it alone. Why? Because Calvary, itself, Calvary itself is a monument to victory over hate. What the enemy meant to destroy becomes a beacon of hope, struggling to forgive. Father, forgive them. The only way to forgive is to be forgiven. And it's from a forgiven heart that forgiveness flows. Can I, can I give you a verse of scripture? It's found in Romans 5. Paul is talking about the death of Christ. He's talking about Calvary that brings healing, that brings reconciliation between the sworn enemies of God, that's us, and God himself. And then Paul says in Romans 5, verse 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Or I like how the Amplified Version says it, where sin abounded, God's grace super abounded for increasing hate there is surpassing grace. You see, to wage a winnable war on hate, 
The answer is not to get rid of the hate. The answer is to overwhelm the hate with agape love. Maybe that's the answer for us all. We need grace. We need more grace. We need abundant grace. We need to be forgiven. That article I read about Ken Parker confessing his sins and repenting and being baptized, it was entitled this, Love Covers All. And you see, that's what we need. We need the overwhelming grace of God, the love of God to cover the hate of man. And such love will drown all hate. I believe that with all of my heart. And that's why I believe that an awakening is necessary. It's why I believe that the love of God has got to be shed abroad in our hearts. There's got to be a drowning of hate within our hearts. That's the only lasting change. Yes, if you have hate-filled speech in your mouth, get rid of it. If you have hate-filled speech on, on your flesh, yes, get rid of it. But it's got to be rooted in the heart. It's got to be drowned with the love of God. And that's waging a winnable war on hate. I know people hurt people and it's hard to deal with, but I believe the love of God is the ticket. It's the love that never fails. It's the love that conquers all. Hey, God bless you. Look forward to a wonderful week of morning devotions. Share this page with millions of people or or two. I don't care. Share it with somebody. Encourage someone Leave some prayer requests. Let's pray one for another. And let's believe that God is going to be with us in this day and all through the week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.